Hi, everybody, and welcome to this, the ARC360 podcast, brought to you in association with our corporate partners, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response, and Sherwin-Williams Automotive Finishes, as well as our partners, the Green Park Specialists in DASA and the Innovation Group. Today, I've got the pleasure of talking to Milton Keynes-based trainer, Rob Ward of RWC, to mark his three decades within the vehicle repair sector. During our chat, he opens up about the continual love affair with the industry, uh, which was born from his days as a college student, explains his belief as to why the repair industry always trails that of the vehicle manufacturers, and more importantly, why it shouldn't. Rob also focuses on just how repairers need to up their game in order to get ready for the so-called electric vehicle revolution and sheds light on the differences between accreditation, qualification, quality assured, and ATA. Oh, and there's a lovely tale of his ongoing role that takes him and his team from their Buckingham base to the Caribbean island of St Lucia, where they've become something of a TV celebrities. Kick back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Okay, super stuff. So welcome, everybody. Big welcome to Rob, who uh, joins us today. And uh, I'm going to let Rob introduce himself and talk all about his experience in the industry and his uh, training centre that he's got down there in Milton Keynes at the moment. But first and foremost, Rob, 30 years in the industry. Congratulations. Thank you. You must have started when you were in nappies. <laughs> no, only when I was about uh, 15. Fell into it, really. Um, just doing work experience in a garage because I wasn't sure what else to do. Yeah, that's when I fell in love with the industry and the rest is history, as they say. Well, I can't fair. believe myself it's 30 years. It's gone quick. That's fair enough. Well, that's a good sign, I suppose. You must be uh, enjoying it, enduring yeah, it, one or the other. Like <laughs> 15 years of age, you, you kind of fell into the industry, so to speak, which is probably a, a very familiar story amongst uh, many people in this sector. Give us a little bit more of a background then in terms of from that young age to you know your relationship with the industry over the years and uh, how you've ended up where you are today. Well, as soon as I then left school, because I worked in a body shop on Saturdays up until I left school and then started a formal apprenticeship. And that's probably, looking back, one of the times in my career I enjoyed the most is, is through that time of being an apprentice. While there's a lot of negatives to being an apprentice because you're just a boy and you get to do all the rubbish jobs and you, you know, all of that stuff, you don't earn a lot of money. But actually, I reflect on that as a really positive time in my career. And it sort of inspired me to progress that career when the time was right into training itself in fact my first job in training was um, at Barnfield College in Luton to train the apprentices 16 to 19 year olds and I took over that role from the tutor that taught me and, uh, and we're still in touch to this day so it's quite nice to uh, take that role as my first step and have the best mentor because you know he felt that he knew me already he was he had taught me originally and, and he was really pleased to see me step into his shoes. And then from there, I gained my teaching qualifications and never really looked back. I've stayed in training ever since. And that was 1998, I first started training. So was it, was it always an aspiration to be involved in training or does it, did it just kind of happen overnight? Yeah, it happened a bit naturally. Uh, it wasn't as if I sat down and decided I want to, to train others. You know, it was an environment I felt very comfortable in. So um, I adapted to it quite quickly. 
Uh, I was only young myself when I first started teaching in a college. There wasn't too much of an age gap between myself and my own students. That had its advantages because I could connect with them. And I even made some good friendships because some of those people that came into the industry straight out of school had me as their fairly young at the time tutor. Um, I became friends with some of those people, helped them through college, and they're still some of my closest friends today and still working in the industry. I still support them as much as I can in the jobs they do and the paths they've taken in terms of who they work for and even working for themselves, which I'm proud of. That's a great thing. And I suppose that's one of the yeah. beauties of our, of our industry is, um, you know, you kind of make friends for life, really, um, which, is, which is a great yeah. thing. And, and so from your time at Barnfield, tell us a little bit about the sort of evolution and, and the story from there, really. That gave me really good grounding in terms of training because it was the education sector. And I think there's a big difference. I, I realised at the time there's a big difference in education and training. In education, while that gave me a brilliant apprenticeship, if you like, in, in the training world, it was nevertheless the public sector. And that was the big difference. And I found in the end that I could do more, achieve more, give more, if I actually worked in training rather than education. Education, while it gave me the grounding I needed, held me back because I reached a point where I wanted to, to do more, explore more, deliver more. And I was stuck in, in the sort of cycle of, of the education world and all the red tape that goes with it. And anyone out there that understands apprenticeships and the education and the public sector will know exactly what I'm referring to. So I took an opportunity to come out of education, but stay in, in the industry and stay in training. I worked um, for what is now Waterglass Body Repair and worked as a training manager to get that business up and running and off the ground in terms of recruitment, induction um, and training. So a great thing to do, a great project to work on, gave me masses of experience in uh, training and management. And again, you know, a really positive element to my career um, to, to be involved in that. And then felt at the time was right to start my own company and deliver training for body shops um, and consultancy for body shops. At a time when body shops were um, struggling, PAS125 at the time was new and the, the world was changing a little bit, particularly around the kite mark. So there was opportunity to move into the body shop world as an independent and provide some of my experience in training and consultancy to help those body shops move forward. And that really was the beginning of RWC as it is now or Rob Ward Consulting as it used to be. And uh, so that as a very small, just me as a little training company has grown and grown and we've still got lots of growing to do. Great little uh, insight into in there in, in your journey in terms of the industry itself. You know, I, I suppose one of the one of the real key factors of us talking today is that I wanted to speak to people like yourself because we we've obviously have the webinars. There's been a lot of talk about skill sets. There's been a lot of talk about technology in recent weeks. It's, it's great to get an insight from each side of the industry and every angle. Really, it's great to sort of appreciate where you're coming from. You know, the challenges and the opportunities that that you face. So. RWC, that's what you kind of, you know, evolved into. So again, just give us a bit more of an insight, those who haven't seen the training facility that you've got there, but, but of the training centre and the type of training that you offer. Yeah, so I think that the um, going back about two years now, two and a half years, I decided that the time was right to take on a 
premises and set up an IMI approved centre. Because ultimately, right from the days of taking over that tutoring role in the college, I even then I think used to dream about having my own facility one day, my own training centre and how I would have it and have it look and all those sort of things. So I had aspirations for a long time, but the time was right a couple of years ago. Um, and it was a brave move, I have to say, but take on a, a premises, set up an IMI approved centre and deliver uh, formal qualifications. Now, rather than, you know, this was a shift really from delivering some training at body shop sites, just based on whatever it is they, they might need at the time and consultancy mixed in with that to actually delivering formal qualifications. In that respect, the business went up a gear. That's really, that was the transition really to set up the centre. So we now run IMI accreditations or ATAs as they were formerly known. And it became very apparent as soon as we were setting the centre up, electric vehicles are starting to, to become more popular and there's qualifications that have now been developed for that. And while that's not at the moment mandatory for body shops to train anybody in electric vehicle, surely that time will come. It made sense to not just offer all the body and paint accreditations and training that we wanted to do, but to introduce um, some elements of vehicle technology. So electric vehicle and ADAS came into that. So they now also form part of everything we offer. Body and paint plus vehicle technology uh, on the ADAS and EV side of things. Okay, great stuff. And that obviously aligns uh, quite nicely with your strap line that I can see in the background there as well, which is we are future ready. So again, just tell us a little bit more about that. You've obviously already touched upon it, but you know, is the industry ready? It's clear that it's not going away. We chose the strap line, we are future ready, really, because while I, I kicked around loads of different strap lines, and we didn't really necessarily need one. I felt it would be quite nice to have one, even if it just says it on the wall in a few places within the centre, just because it puts the right message out there. Are we future ready? Well, we try to be here because if we're delivering those qualifications and we're educating people, then we should be the ones that are trying to gather the knowledge as fast as we can deliver it. And that's what we always strive to do. And I think having that strap line, we are future ready, is, if nothing else, a reminder to myself that we must strive to find out what's coming next and keep on top of it because people are coming to us for that information. You know, we've developed some electric vehicle courses and we've done some seminars before on vehicle technology and they very quickly go out of date as technology moves on. You know, we change our presentation slides regularly because they refer to a particular make and model of a car. As an example, uh, a few months down the line, uh, there's another example we can talk about, you know, or that model's been changed slightly or the technology's been changed slightly. With those subjects, unlike body and paint, that the fundamentals, if you're teaching it, haven't changed for a long, long time. Products change and they improve, but the fundamentals don't change. With EV, ADAS, all that big technology, the fundamentals change all the time. We Are Future Ready, I think, is a great strap line for us. Um, it will never go out of date, and neither should we. And it's a constant reminder that we need to keep uh, as up to date as we can. And we're expected to do that as a training organisation. And what about the industry at large? Now, 
know, you obviously see people come to you for, for this training. And I know the IMI has got some uh, sort of interesting facts and figures that they've banded around in terms of how many EV technicians are out there. You know, what's your general sort of thoughts on specifically the UK repair sector and our, our readiness as being in a, a huge influx in EV activity over the coming years? Yeah, everyone accepts it's happening and it's happening fast. You know, like with most things, we've seen some of this before in our industry and it's a bit sad to say, but as an accident repair industry, we are always a little bit behind the curve. The car manufacturers are well ahead of us. They're working on the next thing and we haven't worked out the previous bit yet. And that's where we always seem to be as an industry, unfortunately. It's always amazed me how a car manufacturer can do all that development in technology, research it, invent it, test it, have it fitted on a car, put that new model out there. And it's not until the point that new model exists on our roads and there's a growing number of them that we then turn around as an industry and say, oh, oh we better learn about this. So you know, how did we miss the last two years of development and research and manufacture before that model came out with that piece of technology on it. That might be an ADAS piece of technology or in fact, an electric vehicle. You know, the manufacturers have always been ahead of us probably by about two years. And that's how long I think it takes us as an industry to realize what's on our roads and then start and train, train ourselves on it, which always seems very behind the curve, but that's the way it, it's always been. So arguably we're kind of in that space or time frame right now where we will, you know, really start to um, to play catch up, I expect. Yeah. Again, it's all talk about electric vehicles, um, EV sales rising uh, month on month, despite obviously all the challenges that uh, we face with production and registrations at the moment. But that curve certainly seems to be um, hitting and, and coming quite quickly at us all. So uh, be interesting to see how it all evolves over the coming few years, really. And the same with, with ADAS technology, obviously. Yeah, yeah, that's the same. And again, growing at such a rapid rate, we see it because we run the courses and have to update our slides regularly because they don't quite refer to the latest technology. So we have to update that. We try and use the latest brand new cars that are fully loaded with all the technology. And even those sometimes, you know, some surprises jump out. So I didn't realise this model you know, had that on it. So yeah, we do our best to, to keep up to date. And I think generally, and things like Things like this and all the stuff that you've been doing, Mark, in terms of the webinars has really helped the industry to um, stay focused on coming through and out the other side of this and keeping up to date on what's going on in the industry and, and in uh, vehicle technology in particular. So I think that's really helped. I think while I've said we'll always be behind the curve, I think most accident repairers in the UK are doing what they can. And I think really, ultimately, they will just need to look at changing their workshop. You know, when, when a workshop has now got 50%, 60%, 70% electric vehicles in it, then the dynamics of that shop will change in terms of where those vehicles are, how they get moved around the shop how they get worked on, who works on them, who, how many people are trained. You know, typically we see body shops that they'll have one, two people trained in electric vehicle, but they might have eight or 10 MET technicians and some panel that do MET as well. So that number will need to grow because if 50% of vehicles coming in the door are now electric powered in some form, then you're going to need more than just those two guys to understand what that car is about. Well, body shops are starting to prepare themselves. Any body shop that has invested in one or two technicians being trained may not be as EV ready as they think. 
And I suppose from their point of view, it's a step-by-step process, isn't it? And it's something that we'll, we'll learn from. And, and I suppose as, as things pick up, as volumes pick up, they start to see more EVs, then, um, then gradually you get more of those uh, MET techs on yeah. board and qualified in that arena. Yeah. So explain a little bit more about the IMI accreditation side of things. I always think it's one of those areas that could be quite confusing to people, i.e. what is it? Does IMI approval mean for a centre? And can I, as a body shop owner, as a, a, a technician looking for training, can I go to any IMI approved facility? How does that all work? I, I agree it's confusing. I mean, it's our world. So, so in the training sector, we don't find it confusing. But I think what confuses matters is some of the um, terminology and the abbreviations the IMI, as with all education, all of the education sector, they, they love some abbreviations. So there's a lot of that to get your head around. Ultimately, I often explain the IMI as being an offset of our world. If they're going to allow ourselves as a centre, they're going to give us approval to deliver some qualifications and training against a given set of standards, then it's in their interest to make sure that it's constantly being done so that qualifications are fair and delivered professionally. IMI are our support arm. So everyone really understands how Ofsted would govern a school um, and, and IMI do a similar thing for us. But there's loads of other elements to it as well, of course, without complicating matters in terms of how they support us. The other complicating thing is the whole thing about accreditation, qualification, quality assured, ATA. It's all a little bit mixed up. To clarify matters, an accreditation is quite different to a qualification. And the reason is, in simple terms, an accreditation is something which is assessment-based, where you're assessed against the skill that you already possess, against a set of standards. And if you achieve that, then you pass that accreditation. But it does need to be reviewed in three years' time to prove current competence. That's an accreditation. A qualification often involves a learning element as well as assessment. So it's a teaching thing as well. Then an assessment to uh, measure your knowledge and skills, and then you gain a qualification. And a qualification is usually a qualification for life. So while there will be updates, and I think in vehicle technology in particular, for electric vehicle, they are qualifications. So they are yours for life. However, they will be questioned over current levels of competence. If you said, I can say I've got a paint spraying qualification, from the from when I left school now on paper that's that still stands because it's a qualification but actually it doesn't show current competence at all and that is even more important with vehicle technology because it changes a lot more than spray gun techniques change qualifications are for life accreditations are to be renewed now that's the main difference there's also stuff called a QAP, which is a quality assured program. And that's like any training centre can devise their own training course with an assessment bolted on the end. And as long as the IMI are happy that that is done professionally and fairly and to a set of standards and it proves a level of competence, that could be in anything really from vehicle prep to making a cup of tea. You could devise a, a quality assured program in anything you want. As long as it ticks um, a lot of the quality assurance boxes for IMI, then they will certificate that as well. That's like a lower level entry quality assured program that's been self-devised and then rubber stamped by the IMI to say, we approve this because we think it stands up as a 
a good standard. And ATA is now being changed. That's IMI accreditation. People still refer to it as ATA, Automotive Technician Accreditation, as was. I've got no issue with that. We still call it ATA sometimes, just in general conversation. But formally, it's IMI accreditation now. Thank you for that. (laughs) A few few things about IMI and why it sometimes gets complicated. No, I think that's great. And as you say, you know, from the outside, not being immersed in it on a day-to-day basis, as as I'm sure, you know, many aren't, it it really helps just sort of clarify those kind of things. And and it may seem very basic to yourself, but it's um, great lessons. Yeah, Um, Um, I don't think anyone should feel that they should know that. Just because you've been in the industry, probably like me, all your life, it doesn't mean to say you should understand how all those qualifications work and what the framework is and how we operate. So I would always encourage people to just ask, so what does that mean? What does that acronym mean? Uh, what, what is your, what is all this educational speak? Just ask. <laughs> well, I think it's the same across the industry as a whole, isn't it? Acronyms yeah. uh, rule this industry and uh, nobody ever asks what they actually mean. So you can make anything up. So now most people will be aware of, of the big training providers or education providers, if you like, you know, the Thatchens, the ITAS and the remits of this world. But you are one of several smaller training providers within the industry, within the UK. So give us an insight into that side of the market that, you know, again, people might not be really fully aware of. There are some big training providers in the UK for collision repair, and there are some smaller ones. And we're probably one of the smaller ones. I don't think it's really, it's not all about size, Mark. It's not all about size. I see the different training providers being a different shape because of how they operate or what they offer. And there's always some overlap, so it's not always as clean cut as I can explain it. I think that the training provider sector for collision repair is really divided into four main categories. The first would be the colleges, the government-funded organisations. The second would be vehicle manufacturer-funded facilities. Training where Mercedes, BMW, Volkswagen, all of those take place, they would be vehicle manufacturer-funded facilities. Then you have paint companies. Nearly all of the major paint companies have their own training facility, which is not government-funded, nor is it vehicle manufacturer-funded, although sometimes there's overlap in, in some of this that I'm saying. Thrown in there as well, in that category, are some other product manufacturers or product suppliers that have training facilities specific to their products. And then finally, it's the independent training providers, independently owned. And that's where we fit in. We are an independently owned training provider that doesn't attract funding from government, doesn't attract funding from uh, vehicle manufacturers, um, and nor do we align ourselves just to one paint company and deliver training just for one product. We're a little bit more fluid, and we are, as independently owned training providers, we are more in the open market for the industry so we are there to provide the training and qualifications needed by all small single site independents as well as the larger groups without those links to car manufacturers necessarily or any government funding necessarily or paint manufacturers or other major product manufacturers so that's really the four categories and the the one that we fit into i did say there's some overlap and i've recently spoken to lots of other training providers about that overlap and about what we can do together. Nearly all training providers, whatever their shape, all training providers in the UK are indeed competitors. The UK industry isn't actually that big. 
in collision repair. And when you nail that down to the number of training providers for collision repair in the UK, it's very small. There's only a handful of us. Whatever the size or shape of that training provider, I think all of them have something to offer independently because of what they do and the shape they've become and collectively. And that's something which we're working on at the moment is all those different shapes and how they fit collectively for the industry. So we're at about the midway point uh, of this podcast. Hope you're enjoying it so far. Huge uh, thank you once again to our corporate partners, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response and Sherwin-Williams Automotive Finishes, as well as our partners with Green Parts Specialists, Indasa and the Innovation Group. Enjoy the second half. I mean, that, that kind of, you know, collaboration piece is, is something that, you know, repeatedly come up in conversation during, during the webinars in, uh, in recent weeks, obviously. And, you know, it, it's, it's good to see how things are evolving and the fact that you guys are in conversation with each other to try and figure out how, you know, you can best facilitate that for the industry and, and continue to push it ahead. So, um, so yeah, fair play to you, Rob. It's um, be interesting to, to hear and follow how that pans out in future. We're obviously in the midst of a pandemic still, um, you know, with the green shoots beginning of sort of end, end of August, beginning of September. We kind of started to, to move conversations on and, and look at different things. And it was kind of, you know, the world was returning to some sort of normality. Two weeks later, we're told to kind of work from home again. And, and this thing is, you know, back for six months effectively is, is certainly seems to be the timeline at the moment. So it's had an impact across the entire industry. We know that we tracked it. How has it specifically impact on RWC itself and fellow peers within that sector? I think on the face of it, it's impacted us massively. For us as RWC, we are only a small business. And so it's knocked us sideways in terms of business progression and revenue through this time. However, I'm very pleased to say that we've come out the other side. And we won't be a victim of COVID in terms of uh, business failure. So we have come out the other side. We're now starting to see things get busier again. And I think, you know, initially I just kept telling myself, I, I can't wait until things get back to normal, then we'll be all right again. But then I realised that things are not going to get back to normal, certainly not anytime soon. So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about what it's going to look like to to in order for us to survive? I come up with a few strategies, which I've now started to implement, and they're paying off already. We are starting to collaborate more with other businesses because I don't think we can continue and grow and expand and, and achieve much in the COVID world alone. We need to do that with other businesses. So we're coll collaborating, which has helped us massively. And actually, although we're only a small business, I've spoken to some of the largest training providers in, in, the, in the country, and they too want to collaborate with us. So we do have something to offer the, the larger organisations as well. So it's interesting when you start to approach other businesses and say, how are things for you? This is where we're at. Can we work together? Is there anything we can do together? And they've got as much to tell me about why they think they should work with me as I have about why I think I should work with them. It, it soon became apparent that collaboration really is the way out of this. The other thing which we are looking to do and is already starting to happen is to work outside of the motor industry. Now, I don't want to leave this industry. I'm not going anywhere. I love this place. But COVID has helped me realise that there's a bigger world out there. And as a small business 
you know, why don't we look at opportunity outside? So to give some examples, we start with have collaborated with a couple of other small training providers and what they offer is something entirely different. And I believe that that has scope for us to help promote that outside of motor industry. We are starting to deliver first aid and defibrillator training, and that will be pushed outside of the industry. While all body shops will need that, it's not our immediate marketplace. The marketplace for that is much bigger than the collision repair sector. And also we've, we're starting a new company called Training Management Systems Limited. That will be a, a training management system that tracks training for large organisations. That, again, is being pushed outside of the industry. So a few products or ideas or elements of what RWC can do and working with others can offer. At this time, this wouldn't have happened without COVID because I wouldn't have even thought about it. At this time has opened up opportunity for us beyond the the motor industry. Initially, I thought we need to take this beyond collision repair and get into the service side of things, especially with electric vehicle and ADAS. We've already started to do that. And I was excited about opening that market up so we're not just so closed door of this, we're the collision industry, and that's, that's as far as we can see. So I started to look further than that. And actually, while the service centre side of the motor industry is huge, in fact, larger than collision repair, I've pushed the doors open again beyond that and said there's an enormous world out there where training videos, online training is required. It doesn't have to be motor industry related but we can work with our partners to create those. Training management is required in terms of a a central hub where all the training is managed for different training providers. All of that uh, has got enormous scope outside of the industry. So our strategy now, we do want to get back to normal. We do want to continue what we're doing for collision repair. We do want to see our courses get busy again, but actually we're going to approach it a little bit differently now. And I have a vision that, Within the next three years, I would say that 30% of our business will be outside the motor industry. And that's not because I'm coming away from the motor industry. It's because we're adding elements into RWC that weren't there before, which I wouldn't have even predicted if it wasn't for COVID, that can appeal to a bigger market. And that's where we'd like to take it. While COVID has been tragic for many families, it's been one of the best things that's happened to us as a business really interesting and it, it is you know again the conversations that we have everyone kind of feels it feels wrong to say that you know covid has been a, a positive because we're surrounded by such kind of you know negative sure. negativity yeah. at the moment and that's understandable yeah. but likewise those who invested the time wisely have looked at things differently like like yourself uh, being a prime example and are going to move through this period and come out the other end with something that's completely new so absolutely yeah. hats off to you it sounds great uh, again really keen to track that progress as a, as and when so yeah. do keep us posted so you know i suppose this one's coming back to the industry as we are but you know how do you think the industry will be different moving ahead we've obviously touched upon you know all the technology the ev the adas type things have we been at risk a little bit of taking our eye off the ball and understandably so in the last six seven eight months during the pandemic or have you kind of seen like you have of people almost taken the opportunity to kind of reflect and invest in the future a little bit more or is that yet to be sort of really truly realized or seen from yourself no i like to think that other people business owners in particular have definitely taken this as an opportunity to reflect and invest they've had time to invest 
Whereas as busy as we were before COVID, I, I did try and make the time. But if I'm true to myself, I didn't have the time to reflect properly. I was just trying to run the business day to day, week to week and planning next month. Not really any further than that. So I don't think I'm that different to many other business owners that have taken the time wisely and uh, use that time to reflect and can see now, they have a vision now of what their business will look like. Let's call it post-COVID and how different that is to pre-COVID. And they're working towards that with a positive approach. Yes, it's been damaging, but moving ahead now, even if restrictions stay similar to they are now for the next six months or 12 months, we don't know what it's going to be like. If restrictions stay in place, then we still have a really clear vision of where we're going. I don't think anybody in business and in this industry can sit back and say, well, let's just wait until restrictions are lifted and then we can move forward. You can't wait. I don't think many businesses can wait. And, we, and you don't even know what you're waiting for. Now is the time to move forward. And we've got the situation we've got. We have to get around that. And there are lots of good, exciting ways to get around it. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it is going to be an exciting time for the industry. Um, you know, like you've said about your business, that's kind of evolving. I think a lot of repairers will be looking at their business models and thinking, right, what can we do differently? And, you know, one of the things that always stems back to is volumes. Are we ever going to get back to, you know, 100%? Nobody knows at the moment, but what does that mean to the business? So I think there's a lot of fine tuning and, you know, tweaking and playing with different business models going on out there at the moment. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really exciting to see what does emerge. So looking beyond what we've just discussed in the UK, your core business, if you like, of, of body shop training. Now, you've had ties with St. Lucia government. Now, just again, give us a little bit more of that because that's a bit left field. You've got a partnership with Fleet and Logistics Operation SMH, and you've also tied up with Automotivate, so Mike Monaghan's business, and also our virtual academy. So you're, you're spinning lots of plates at the moment. So just give us a little bit of an overview of, of those kind of partnerships that you've currently got yeah, yeah we, we've got loads going on and, and you know a lot of this was before covid so there are things which were starting to evolve in that manner for our business uh, before any uh, lockdown or restrictions but yeah st lucia it, it is uh, a bit out the out the blue or into the blue it's a lovely place we're very fortunate we were contacted 18 months ago by the uh, government of St Lucia overseen by the Caribbean government to say look we're doing a piece of work over here it's a huge strategy in energy saving part of that project is electric vehicles and we are introducing electric vehicles onto the Caribbean islands St Lucia is moving ahead with it they've got a budget for it and uh, the government owns some electric vehicles themselves and they own some garages and uh, they want your help in moving forward. We were very fortunate. We put a proposal together and worked closely, of course, with the IMI have supported us in, in doing that so that we can go to St Lucia and deliver IMI qualifications on an international level. We were able to do that. We went out there and delivered a whole series of electric vehicle training for garages out there. There is more of that to come. This is an ongoing contract. There's been a break, partly because of COVID, but not entirely because of that. But the contract will continue in 2021. As soon as travel restrictions allow, we will be going back. There are a lot more uh, garages. We're just doing service centres at the moment. We haven't even started on, on body shops out there yet. And some of those are government owned. So the government are funding all of this for those garages. And even the independent garages, the government are saying we'll pay for your staff to be trained. 
So there's a budget for this out there. Our next phase in 2021 will be first responders. So we're going back out there next year to deliver hazard management, electric vehicle training for all of their emergency services, which is exciting stuff. We've done a bit of that here in the UK for the police. And, um, and so to take that over there and do that with them is really, uh, really good stuff. Yeah, the St. Lucia piece is, is exciting. There's lots, of, there's lots of countries in the world I wouldn't really want to go to, but St. Lucia is a pretty good place. And we get very well looked after out there. It's, it was a fantastic experience. The people we taught out there were very, very appreciative of our time. Um, over here, typically people sit on a training course, uh, you know, they're only half interested. Now on the feedback form, they'll just say the sandwiches were nice or something like that. So over there, different cat official together. They have got enormous amount of respect for us as teachers. And, uh, and they made a big deal of it. We were on the TV over there on the news throughout the whole week that we delivered the training, which was bizarre. Uh, they had an opening ceremony when we arrived with the transport minister and government officials present and TV cameras and a closing ceremony when we left uh, of a similar nature and invited lots and lots of people from different government divisions and schools and colleges to come along. So it was a really exciting project to be part of and can't wait to go back. To be honest. Oh, well, I'm sure it's, uh, you know, we appreciate your time even more, Rob, because of your obviously busy TV schedule and things and, and mixing <laughs> it with the stars. So uh, thanks but for that. It and wasn't quite as glamorous as it sounds, but it was cool. It was cool. Uh, so. <laughs> no, it sounds great. Yeah. And, it, you know, what again, a really interesting piece of work to be involved in, um, oh, you know, at the government level. Fantastic to, to go over and train those people working in a, in a very very different place to this country that their, their their workshops their culture the way they live is very different so it's a wonderful experience to do that um, and tell us a bit more about the the uk based side of things so again smh a little bit different automotivate again a yeah. little bit different our virtual academy so smh fleet solutions are a huge customer of ours we are the dedicated smh training academy for them so we deliver as much of their technical training uh, as we can and they're a reasonable size the four big sites with 450 staff they're a reasonable size we deliver as much as we can for them in terms of technical training and we are now starting to to manage more aspects of their training on their behalf so it helps them to pull it all together whether we're delivering that training or not even if it's non-technical we're helping them as in a training management function to, to pull it all together so that they're a lot more aligned and, and organized but we also for, for smh do a traineeship so it's like an apprenticeship but it's not 16 to 19 year olds it's for people of any age so this is really, it stems from a recruitment drive. Fleet companies like that, that employ large numbers of technicians, often in remote locations, actually, not in the centre of town, struggle to recruit. So we've introduced a programme so that they can breed their own technicians, really. So that's what they're doing. They're recruiting people, which we help them with. We help them with interviews and um, skills assessment days and stuff like that to find the people with the right attributes. And recruiting groups of people that we then look after and train for two years on a block release basis, very similar to an apprenticeship, and then give them a qualification at the end of that. We're 18 months into that now, and it's really successful. And we're starting to talk now to other major organisations that employ hundreds of technicians on um, running a similar programme for them and make it bespoke to them so that those individuals are trained on the processes and the products and, and the methods that are used specifically by that company so that they haven't got that 
mix or variation in, in certain people do things a certain way. Um, so we're trying to help them standardise all of that across all their sites by bringing these people in and feeding into the business with new people that are trained up on their processes. So that, that's working really well with uh, SMH. Automotivate, Mike Monaghan, great guy, really well known in the industry. Mike's doing some amazing stuff. I think in the last uh, two years or so, Mike has pushed and pushed and I've got loads of admiration for Mike in what he's done. Mike does the mindset courses. And, you know, again, this brings me back to why we believe there's opportunity outside the motor industry. Some of the stuff that Mike does is relevant to all businesses. Everybody in that business needs to think like that for that to, to strive. So we're going to be holding some of the Automotivate courses at our Milton Keynes site for Mike and working with Mike to promote that. And equally, Mike's, you know, doing some stuff to, to promote what we do in terms of vehicle technology and some of the body and paint courses as well. It's just another really good example and reason why some small training providers are collaborating to offer, you know, an even better provision to the industry and beyond. And you mentioned our virtual academy, which is an online based business that creates and delivers online learning. We've joined forces with a virtual academy on a few levels. One is because we deliver the likes of electric vehicle courses for IMI. And an element of that is the knowledge and the learning. And we are now able, by using our virtual academy, we're able to offer our customers a choice of attended course or an online course prior to coming in and doing their online test and their practical. Because the practical element of, of some of the skills stuff we do is always going to be face-to-face. So it's going to be attended. The word on the street, the buzzword now is blended learning. And I think moving forward as a training provider, we would be crazy not to embrace blended learning. Online learning is not a competitor of ours. It's an element of our business we should absolutely be offering going forwards. We've set all that up. That's starting to work really well. Uh, there's more information uh, on it on our website, which explains how you can choose whether you come to us, sit in a classroom and be taught in that way, which we can now refer to as the traditional way of learning. So if you want to do that, and lots of people do, that's fine. But if you feel that online learning, virtual learning is for you and you learn well that way and we'll do it for you in small bite-sized chunks because no one wants to sit and do a three, four hour online course in one go you can do it at your own pace in your in your time when you feel you're ready leading up to the point where you're invited in to do your practical assessment so that twofold delivery method is now what we're able to offer because we're collaborating with other training providers all sounds like great progress to me but uh, yeah really interesting to hear how you're kind of linking up with all these different elements and aspects of of training and, and putting it all together so with your investment in people and your training head-on what's the top piece of advice you'd share with the industry right now i think it's to collaborate don't be scared to speak to your competitors some of the conversations i've had with other training providers in the last couple of months have been some of the most productive conversations I've had in a long, long time. And all it takes is pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, look, this is what we're doing. How are things for you? That's all it takes. It takes a bit of planning, a bit of thinking through. Yeah, my advice is collaborate. You will you will never get anything negative from speaking to other people about your business and hearing about theirs and seeing what you can do together. What a way to round out an interview. Thanks very much indeed, Rob. It's been a, a really yeah. great insight. Now, what we like to do is just a quick fire question round at the end of the interviews, just to get a real uh, taste of who you are. So if you weren't heading up RWC Training Centre right now, you would be? I'd be a police officer. I wouldn't actually change my 
uh, career at all if I had my time again. I'd do exactly the same because I love it so much. But if I had to do something else, I'd be in the police. Okay, PC Ward, thank you for that. Best bit of business advice you've ever heard, seen or received? Oh, I've always liked the phrase, fortune favours the brave. I've always liked that. Not that I've made a fortune. I do believe I continue to be brave. Things like collaborating, talking to other businesses, even if they are a competitor. All of those things are brave moves. Growing the business, expanding, investing are all brave moves. And I think that's the only way forward if you dare. Well, maybe your fortunes to follow at some stage. This is the one that divides a nation, self-driving vehicles for you. Yes or no and why? So could Rob Ward happily jump in a self-driving vehicle tomorrow? Yes. Love the idea. It's coming fast. We're based in Milton Keynes. Milton Keynes appears to me like the epicentre of where all the technology is tested. There are self-driving vehicles out there right now, today, in Milton Keynes being tested. You haven't got to drive far in Milton Keynes to see a robot going along the pathway at the side of the road delivering a parcel. They are now everywhere. So, yeah, yeah, it'll come. Milton Keynes is prime for it because the road layout so sort of works it won't work everywhere and it will take quite a long time before we're all uh, using that technology. Yeah, bring it on, it's exciting. It might have implications for the repair industry, but everything we've talked about for the last 30 years, we've said, oh, this is going to have implications for the repair industry. So uh, bring it on, it'll be great. Great way to round out the interview. So once again, thank you very much indeed, Rob. Great to catch up with you. Really appreciate your time. You, Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Will do. Thank you very much. And so there we have it. Great catch up with Rob and get his insights and feelings, thoughts on the industry as it continues to evolve, uh, especially obviously from a training provider perspective. And also great to see all the opportunities that are starting to realise there at uh, RWC and across the industry as a whole. Really, really great stuff. Hope you've enjoyed it as much as I did. Once again, a big thank you to our corporate partners, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, uh, S&G Response and Sherwin-Williams Automotive Finishes, as well as our partners, the Green Park Specialists in DASA and the Innovation Group. This has been the ARC360 podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. We'll catch up with you all again soon.